Hi friends, my name is Tracy and I'm so glad you joined us for this episode of the Abundant Living Podcast. This is your podcast where you can discover how to better serve Christ, create great friendships with like-minded ladies, and live a more abundant Christian life. Before we dive in, remember you can find podcasts like this and so much more on our website at christianladiesfellowship.com. While learning more about this unique ministry, you can also read articles, find resources like books and music, sign up to get helpful devotions delivered right to your inbox, and click the link to join the conversation in our Facebook group. Thank you for joining me today for episode number 25 of the Abundant Living Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Burns. This is number 25. Does this mean that this is our silver anniversary? (laughs) I never thought that I would have enough content to do 25 episodes, but I'm not a quitter and I look forward to writing and recording many more for you. I hope you've subscribed to this podcast in your podcasting app so that it reminds you when to listen. I have a question for you. What do you like to do while you listen or where do you like to listen to this podcast? This summer, we put up one of those above ground pools in our backyard. So my favorite place to listen to podcasts and audiobooks is while I'm floating in the pool. I use a little Bluetooth speaker, so perhaps my neighbors are getting to listen too. That being said, don't forget to share this podcast with someone this week. I love to see when you share the podcast post from Instagram at Christian Ladies Fellowship onto your own Instagram. My friend Angelina in California, who I've known since I was a teenager, is great at this. So thank you, Angie. And to those of you who always help to promote this podcast so that others can find it and become listeners too. I was 16 years old when the first of my four grandparents died. I was fortunate to be close to all of them and still today have a plethora of memories and fountains of wisdom that I glean from them. My papa had a heart attack only a few days after we had all been together to celebrate Thanksgiving. His heart attack shocked the entire family. My papa was tall, skinny, and full of energy. He was a man who lit up a room the moment he walked in. Everyone, family and friends alike, loved and respected him, his joyful spirit, hilarious sense of humor, and strong character. Of all of the family, no one thought he would be the one to be knocking on death's door so suddenly and unexpectedly. Papa was in the hospital for a few weeks and then came home just in time for Christmas. We celebrated Christmas that year at my grandparents' house since Papa was still so weak. He was struggling with his memories and especially his mobility. A few days after Christmas on New Year's Eve day, he went to heaven in the middle of the night as he was praying with my grandma who had come in to calm him back to sleep. He was only just 69 years old and seemed much too young to be gone. As a 16-year-old, I had never experienced grief except when earlier in the year, our beloved family dog had to be put down. Not only were these feelings of grief new and unfamiliar, I was observing my parents experience their own grief. My dad was very close to his father. At the time, my dad was pastoring his church and now trying to grieve the sudden loss of his father. I'm sure he never thought that at just 41 years of age, he would suddenly be fatherless. Now, these many years later, I understand how he felt. When that first parent dies, it really seems to rip a rug out from under you. Someone who has always been there is suddenly not. That person you've known all of your life that you've never known how to live life without is gone leaving you to feel adrift in a tumultuous sea and not really sure how to get back in the lifeboat. A couple of weeks after Papa died, I started my final semester of high school. 
I attended a Christian school about an hour's drive from where we lived at the time. My mom drove us to school and then she would stay there to work during the day to pay for our tuition. My brother finished all of his high school work in the previous semester, so the final semester was just me and mom driving the one-hour trip to school each day. My grandma lived about 25 minutes from the school in a different direction. After Papa died, my parents decided it would be good for my mom and I to spend the night at my grandma's one day a week. Not only would this prevent a lot of extra driving, but it would help my grandma not to be alone too much in those tender months after Papa died. My grandma and Papa were like two peas in a pod. They had that kind of marriage that everyone dreams of having. They were best of friends who did everything together and did most of it while laughing, eating, and traveling. They had thoroughly enjoyed their years of retirement, staying busy, but busy together. Now, my grandma had lost her wingman. After almost 50 years of marriage, she had to learn how to do life single. I didn't understand this at the time, and I doubt I would fully grasp it unless it happens to me. But years later, after watching my own father navigate life as a single person after the death of my mother, I saw really how hard it could be. Every Tuesday after school, mom and I would head to grandma's for the evening. Sometimes we cooked, but since neither my mom or my grandma enjoyed it, we often picked up something or went out to eat. We ate Arby's roast beef sandwiches and mom and grandma chatted while I did my homework or I went to the pool or for a bike ride in the retirement community where grandma lived. On Wednesday mornings, we got up bright and early, headed back to school, saying goodbye and see you next Tuesday to grandma. After a few weeks of this, my mom was really struggling with helping my dad with the church duties. She was a secretary and did all the finances along with all of her normal house stuff, all while working four days a week at the Christian school. My grandma threw out the idea that if my mom dropped me off at school on Tuesday mornings, grandma could pick me up for the overnight, take me to school on Wednesday, and mom wouldn't have to pick me up until Wednesday afternoon when school got out. That one semester before I graduated from high school, I spent every Tuesday night at my grandma's. Looking back, I'm so grateful for that time with her. Five months of Tuesdays bonded us like nothing else could. As an added benefit that I didn't realize until years later, I also got an early front row seat to real grief. Perhaps my parents didn't realize what I would encounter, but I think they did. I was there to be as a balm for my grandma's wounded soul. I don't know if that part actually came true, but here I was, not yet 17, on the cusp of adulthood and learning how to comfort someone as they grieved. It was not all sadness and tears. We had a lot of fun together. After homework, we would go to the pool and visit with her friends, a group of fun and silly older ladies that grandma called the wet ones. We took long bike rides on all the trails around her retirement community. I went to church choir practice with her. Grandma, by the way, was a true soprano who also played the piano and the organ, and she sang her heart out at the top of the treble clef whenever she could. We rented old black and white movies and watched them with the lights off while devouring bowls of hot buttered popcorn. Yes, sometimes she would just begin crying and leave the room. Other times she would stay and apologize profusely. Because I was a teenager with very little skills when it came to comforting the hurting, I would often just sit next to her and hold her hand or put my arm around her, saying nothing. It wasn't because I thought that was a good idea. It was, in fact, all I could think of to do. I also knew enough not to say anything because I didn't understand her grief. I could only just sit and be with her. And guess what? Being with her was enough. She didn't need words. She just needed love and companionship. My grandma Sandberg was the only grandparent still alive to meet both of my kids. Grandma went to heaven in 2010 after suffering for years with Parkinson's disease and eventually the accompanying dementia. 
But she learned to live again in the 15 years she lived after my papa died. She swam 70 laps in the pool every day to stay in shape. She traveled all over the world. She rode in a hot air balloon in Australia and spent time working on a kibbutz in Israel. Seeing how she found life after tragedy helped me to cope with the death of my mom and best friend in 2014. Grandma's spirit in the years after my papa died gave me the hope I needed in my own early dark days of grief. All this to say, from my first encounter with grief at the tender age of 16 until now, I've noticed one thing to be prevalent. People do not know what to do for those who are grieving. I had people say some of the weirdest things to me after my mom died. Now saying that, I had many more give kindness and comfort, but it's true. People don't know what to say to those grieving or how to act around them. I had someone tell me how they dreamed of my mom the night she died and saw her spirit disappear in their dream. Okay, even if this was true, I really didn't care to hear it. I'm not superstitious or anything, and it was just weird and not helpful. But through my time of grieving, I also learned that people just want to help. And even though sometimes their help is not helpful, you have to appreciate the spirit in which they give it. Their hearts are in the right place. Grief teaches you to love people where they're at. That is for sure. So today, I want to give you a few ideas of how to help those who are grieving. The book of Job is mostly Job's three friends not being helpful and running their mouths with their thoughts and feelings and opinions that were never asked for. However, very little is often said about the beginning of the story when Job's three friends first showed up. Job 2, 11 through 13 says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, after all that Job lost, I can only imagine his level of grief. It surprises me that seeing how great Job's grief was, that these three friends even attempted to speak. Oh, but speak they did. Perhaps after those seven days and nights, they just couldn't hold it in anymore. They started out so selflessly, but it took only a week for them to become selfish and think that their thoughts and opinions even mattered to a man who had just had his entire life come crashing down around him. However, Let's talk about what they actually did that was helpful. First, they made an appointment to mourn in verse 11. They made a plan to help Job together. There was a purpose and a thoughtfulness here. Then they lifted up their voices and wept in verse 12. They cried with Job. This is a great place to say that it's okay to cry with those who are grieving. It doesn't make it worse for them. Often it shows them how much they matter to you. Never be afraid to show your tears. This is something that I, who does not like to cry in public, is still working on. Next, they rent their mantles in verse 12. They openly showed their grief so Job could see how much this mattered to them. In the Bible, the mantle was an outer covering, often a head covering. Renting or ripping a mantle in the Bible was a sign of humility. It was a way of getting God's attention and showing him one's humility and deep sorrow. Even though these losses were not the friend's losses, they were being complicit with Job because he had previously just done the same with his own mantle. Then they sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven in verse 12. 
This also was a sign of humility and mourning before God. Again, this was not their mourning, but they joined Job in it because they wanted to show their love and loyalty to their friend. Next, they sat down on the ground with Job in verse 13. They were not going anywhere. Before, when we discussed them making an appointment, I imagine they cleared their schedules because they planned to be with him for a while. They didn't just pat him on the shoulder and say, praying for you. No, they planned to be much more helpful and be there much longer for Job. Hence them sitting on the ground with their friend to mourn. In verse 13, it says that they said not a word. This might be one of the most important things said in this whole passage of scripture. They closed their mouths and didn't try to engage them in conversation. They didn't try to give their opinions. They didn't discuss how to help him get his life together or reason out why God would allow this to happen. No, they just sat there with their mouths closed. Wow, this is convicting. We live in a world where social media has made everyone think their voice and opinion is important and necessary to the conversation. Guess what? It is not. I'm a talker and I have lots of opinions, but I've learned over the years I don't always have to share them. Do I want to? Of course. Should I? In most situations, no. Job's friends did the best thing here. They came to mourn with their friend and kept their mouths shut. We know from scripture that this didn't last. And guess what? When they started talking, it all went downhill fast. Most readers hardly remember these three verses when Job's friends did the right thing. They definitely remember the hundreds of verses of the three friends running their mouths uselessly. I want to share a list of ideas of how you can help those that are grieving. I don't think one podcast can do this justice. Perhaps one day when I can get myself together enough to write books, then I will make this a bit more extensive. However, this is a great start if you're struggling on how to respond or reach out in a helpful way to someone who is hurting, whether that be the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, chronic illness, bad medical diagnosis, divorce, backslidden loved ones, you get the idea. First, pray for them and tell them you're praying for them. Offer to pray with them. Because we're human, we often think we have to do things and give things. I think if we're not careful, we can devalue the great benefit of taking their name before God in prayer. Prayer is more powerful than anything we can do, give or say. Lift their name up in prayer. Even if they never know, know that God will hear and not only help them, but you will be encouraged as well. Second, ask them if and how you can help. Help them even when they tell you, I'm fine. Sometimes you may have to do some reconnaissance to find out what they need. You may need to ask friends or family members and be a little sneaky. I'm sure they won't mind if they ever find out. This is a good place to mention that often they don't know what they need, but others who are close to them will, and they'll be the ones to ask. Next, babysit, house sit, or dog sit for them. If you have to be inconvenienced, be inconvenienced for them. After my mom died, we had the craziness of the funeral, the burial, and all that, and then it was Christmas time. My brother and I encouraged my dad to spend Christmas with my brother in Oklahoma and then New Year's with my family in Florida. He would be gone from his home for two or three weeks. His good friend, Ed, offered to keep an eye on his house. Ed even took my dad's dog to his house and spoiled her rotten while dad was gone. Dad didn't have to worry about anything because Ed was so kind and selfless. What a great friend. Number four, take them to a doctor's appointment and be uplifting and encouraging. When my mom was going back and forth to the doctors and surgeons during her illnesses, a group of her friends would join her and make a whole day of it. They would all pile in her cute little BMW mini and they would laugh until they cried. My mom enjoyed those days that should have been so hard and sad, 
so much more with her friends. She called me often to tell me so many stories of these days with her friends. And she would struggle to tell the stories through all of her laughter, telling all the crazy things she and her friends did together. Next, take them a meal. This is one way many who are not good at being with the grieving can help. Often when grieving, eating healthy is put on the back burner when it should be on the front because stress of loss is taxing enough on one's health. To not have to think about meals, cooking, or even when you should eat is such a stress reliever. I do want to mention to check their dietary restrictions. You don't want to take a meal laden with carbs and sweets to a diabetic who might not be able to eat it, and if they do, they're going to have health issues because of it. You also don't want to take something that they have an allergy to or they really don't like. Often they won't tell you, so check with a friend or family member who has some knowledge in this. Number six, take them to lunch. Getting out is so helpful after the smoke clears, but it helps to have companionship too. Perhaps they want to talk about their grief. Sometimes people just need someone to listen. If they don't bring it up, then don't talk about it. Make things as normal as possible and discuss things that interest them. Number seven, when able, give them cash or gift cards. Dealing with loss is so expensive. I was shocked at how expensive it was to bury my mother. That was almost eight years ago, so I'm sure it's gotten even more expensive since then. Dealing with health issues is the same thing. If you have the means to help someone monetarily, you can be such a blessing. At a time that is so stressful on so many levels, it's a huge help when someone is there to alleviate the financial aspect in a time of grief. Number eight, visit them in the hospital. Now, that being said, this is a time to be somewhat sensitive. Make sure they're okay with visitors. Often, it is best to leave children at home or with a babysitter unless the person requests to see them. Take them a gift if you can. Even a good cup of coffee can go a long way. And don't stay too long. Be intuitive to their needs and sensitive to their privacy. Number nine, find out their favorites and send them to them. Shortly after I returned to work after my mom died, my boss showed up on a particularly rough morning with my favorite Starbucks drink. I'm not sure how he figured it out, but boy, that cup of coffee hit different than any other coffee I had that week. If you know they like books, send them a great read, but that isn't too sad. If they like plants, send them a beautiful bouquet or a potted plant. You get the idea here. Think of what they love and then send it to cheer them up. Number 10, offer to do housework or yard work. When grieving, this is something that often falls by the wayside when someone is just trying to survive. Many years ago when I was running my house cleaning business, I often reached out to church members who were struggling and offered to clean for them. Many times I got declined, but I found if I kept asking, eventually they gave in. It was something I could do and something I could make time for to show my love and kindness towards them. Number 11, mail them a card, even if you might not know them or think they might not know you. I got cards in the mail from people I hadn't spoken to in years after my mom died that were so comforting to me. Even just a few months ago, a young woman who I don't know at all reached out to me via Facebook to tell me what a wonderful lady my mom had been in her life. Mom had been her Sunday school teacher in junior high like 10 or 15 years ago. And this young lady had copious stories of things my mom said and did that helped her during those tough years of her adolescence. This meant so much to me and I was so encouraged and blessed to hear it. Number 12, send an occasional text or email or call them on the phone. Just reach out. Now, don't be like Job's friends and offer advice and ramble aimlessly. Here's a few specific things to say. Just let them know how special they are to you. 
Tell them you're thinking of them and praying for their situation. Never pry for information or ask for news. Let them decide what they want to share with you. If they complain, find something good about them and praise them. If you can't think of anything to say that's positive, then just listen. Send them funny jokes or comics. And when you do send them a text, email, or note, do so without ever expecting a reply. Sometimes they just don't want to create a commentary, and it's often best just to leave the ball in their court in these types of situations. Now, when talking to them or even texting and emailing them, there are definitely things that should be said and definitely things that should never be said. Don't say things like, everything's going to be all right. I know exactly how you feel. This is terrible. I can't imagine what you're going through. You need to be strong or God will provide. Okay, they know that God will provide. And they honestly feel extremely weak and unable to be strong. These words are rarely, if never, helpful. Now, here are some things that are great to say. I'm praying for you. Can I pray with you? I'm sorry for your loss. I can't wait for heaven. It's okay to cry. Don't give people platitudes. Say something that you mean and just give them lots of love. One thing to remember is that their lives have been upended and it's hard to find normality. If anything, behave and speak normally. Talk about regular stuff. After my mom died and life went back to normal, I found it hard to find a new groove in the day-to-day. My grief waited for me when I was alone and at night when things were quiet. I definitely did not want to talk about it with everyone and have them bring it up all the time. I dreaded certain people because they would always give me those big eyes full of sympathy and say, are you okay? No, I was not okay. but I was trying to join life again. Those kind of words didn't help. What did help was hearing funny or encouraging stories about my mom or just people talking and behaving normally. Grief is a process. It's not our job to help others to grieve. I think Job's friends thought they had to help Job beyond just grieving with him, and then they messed everything up in the process. It wasn't until Elihu at the end of the book, showed up and told them to shut their mouths, that things got better for Job. Our job as a friend to those who are hurting is to support them as they journey through grief. In my young years, I learned every Tuesday at the beginning of 1996 how to sit and mourn with my grandma. I had no idea that it was an early lesson I would use over and over again in the 26 years since. I hope these ideas that I've given you have helped you to maybe understand how you can be a blessing to those who are hurting and how to avoid becoming like Job's friends after chapter three. If you have any other ideas on how to help those going through a trial, I would love to hear them. You can email me at tburns at emmanueljacks.org or you can message me on Instagram at Christian Ladies Fellowship. My email and other contact info are, as always, in the show notes. I know I've given you these verses before in a previous podcast. But they're so good at reminding us that we are meant to encourage and comfort those other Christians who are hurting. And we can do this the right way with the right mindset so that they can have hope for a better tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. If you enjoyed this episode of the Abundant Living Podcast, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app so that you are notified when a new episode is posted. 
please rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. For more helpful content, be sure to check out our website, ChristianLadiesFellowship.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you're leaving with some great things that will help you to live more for the Lord, make amazing Christian friends, and serve the Savior every day. Let's go show the world just how abundant the Christian life can be. Until next time.